Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll pick it up in verse 12. Philippians chapter 3. And uh, we'll be picking up in verse 12. We are calling today's message, Looking Forward to It. Looking Forward to It. And anytime I say this phrase, looking forward to it, there's always great anticipation, uh, joy, excitement, uh, you know, just a positive feeling whenever I say that we're looking forward to it. So I'm looking forward to it when we all do meet on June 28th again. And, you know, there's more of us in here and we publicly launch. I'm, I'm looking forward to it when this, there's a vaccine to the pandemic and, you know, we, there's no restrictions at all. I'm looking forward to it when our sports can get back to normal and there's people in the stands. I'm looking forward to it when it really is, when, when the patterns of racial injustice and inequality and those things break. I, you know, anytime I say looking forward to it, there's always a sense of hope, joy, and positivity to that statement. But there's also a very unhealthy side to looking forward to it as well, at least for me anyway. Sometimes I can be looking forward to something with so much anticipation, so much excitement, kind of overly anxious, that I miss the beauty of today. I miss opportunities that present itself right now. I miss even good things that are happening right now because, well, I'm kind of looking forward to it. You know, one of the phrases that has been so helpful to me in my life, and I know it's been helpful to, to many, many people in their lives, is this next phrase that we're going to put up here with it. One day at a time. One day at a time. I so live by that phrase. Because what does one day at a time mean? Well, one day at a time means I'm not stuck in my past. I'm not going, what well, I should have, I could have, you know, I, I, I regret this happened and that happened. I'm not living in my past. I'm not stuck there. I'm not locked in my past. But on the other hand, what one day at a time means is that I'm also not overly anxious about the future either. I'm not worried about it. In fact, Jesus himself taught us to take it one day at a time. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 34, what did Jesus say? He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Jesus himself taught us, take it one day at a time. Well, if Jesus taught us to take it one day at a time, we've all been helped by the phrase one day at a time. What in the world is the point of looking forward to it? And what I want to tell you is that there's a big time point, a big time point to looking forward to it. Because if we can look forward to it the way the Apostle Paul looked forward to it, the way Scripture teaches us to look forward to it, it will empower you to thrive one day at a time. How do we do both? Well, let's just go ahead and jump into the Scriptures and see what we can learn from the Apostle Paul today. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal. By the way, all this in my goal is referring to the verses right before this. If you look at verses 10 and 11 of this chapter, Paul says, you know, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to become like him in his death. I want to be conformed, you know, to his image is what he's talking about. But not that I've already obtained all this or already arrived at my goal. But Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold 
of me. Now, I love this phrase, I press on, because I'm going to tell you right now, what we're seeing in verse 12 is a changed life in Christ. I press on in the Greek, you know what that means? It means to chase and hunt down, to pursue. And do you know what the Apostle Paul used to chase and hunt down and pursue? Christians. That's what he used to press on. Christians. Mistreat them, hurt them. That's what he chased and hunted down until Christ chased and hunted him down. Completely changed his life. Now he presses on not to take hold of Christians, but he takes hold to know Christ. It's a changed life right before our eyes. Then he goes on to say in verses 13 and 14, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind It's the only way you can live one day at a time. Forgetting what is behind and straightening toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And where Paul says, I press on toward the goal. Knowing Christ was not a goal for Paul. Knowing Christ was the goal for Paul. Knowing God, knowing Jesus more personally and intimately, that is the goal. Christianity, your relationship with Christ, is not just like a a piece of your life. It's not a category in your life. Like, you know, here's my home life. Here's my work life. Here's my financial life. Here's my romantic life. You know, here's my neighborhood life. And, oh, yeah, this little piece over here, this is my Christian life. Oh, yeah, I pick it up on the side. No, no, no. A Christian is someone who becomes increasingly aware. I didn't pick Christianity up. Christianity, Christ picked me up. He accepted me. He first loved me. He chased and hunted me down. He pursued me. He saved me. He died on the cross for me. I got to make everything about him. That's the goal for Paul. And that's got to be our goal as well. Knowing Christ And then Paul, I like what he says here. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Those are all singular. And Pastor Hess talked about this last week with Timothy and the dream team about this singular focus in life. That's what Timothy had. That's what Paul is saying here. This is my focus. Yes, I got circumstances going all around me, but my focus is on knowing Christ. There's no side issues. There's no distractions. Let me say that there is tremendous, tremendous power in that kind of focus. Take light, for example. Turn on the lamp in your, on your nightstand in your room. There's a light bulb there, right, giving a broad light to your room. No one ever turns on the lamp and goes, wow, what power? No one does that, right? But take light, gather it up, press it, get it going in a single direction to a single point. Whether you have, you got a laser beam. There's heat with that. Laser beam can cut through metal and steel. There's tremendous power in that. And that was for Paul's life. See, Christianity is your whole life, your whole life, your, your family, your, your, your friends, your social, your work. It's all gathered up and it's going in one direction to a single point. It's all centered around Christ. That has to be our singular focus. Now, does that mean with knowing Christ is our singular focus, does that mean we act all weird and stuff? Like, hey, you want to go out to eat? No, I got to read Deuteronomy today and pray for two hours. It's not that kind of weirdness, right? Paul's saying, no, 
your Christian life is to be gathered up and everything centered around Christ, your family centered around Christ, your work centered around Christ. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you go, you're an ambassador to Christ. You're looking for his work. That's what he's saying. And what enabled Paul or what empowered Paul to have that kind of singular focus? Sorry. He says, forgetting what is behind. In other words, he wasn't locked by his past. He could have been crippled by his past. But he wasn't. He says, forgetting what, does that mean that we, does that mean that we don't remember our past or don't learn from our past? Of course not. I mean, the Apostle Paul right here in Philippians chapter 3, if you read verses 4 through 6, Paul brings up his past. He remembers his past. He's learned from his past, but he's not going to be living in his past anymore. He's not going to be defined by his past. He presses on to know Christ. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things to know Christ, to press on to know Christ. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. I love the corporate language he's using here. This is a corporate effort to press on to know Christ. It needs to be a uh, something done in community. We encourage that in one another. And when we see people, our brothers and sisters, kind of wandering off or, you know, not pressing on, wanting to give up hope, we encourage, no, don't give up. Keep coming back. Don't quit before the miracle happens, right? We encourage, keep pressing on to know Christ. And Paul, using that same corporate language, goes on to say, join together in verse 17. He says, join together. Because it is a corporate effort. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. do. Now, Paul saying join together in following my example. That's not Paul being egotistical and arrogant and all that. I mean, that would be bad if I stood up here. Hey, you guys need to follow my example, right? That, that would not be good. Paul saying that, though, he's, he's already said he's not arrived at his goal. He's, he's not there. He's not arrived. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying, hey, follow this example of pressing on to know Christ. Was Paul full of himself in his old life? Yeah, you can read about it in verses 4 through 6. But you know what Paul says in verse 8 of this chapter? He says, I count all that old life gains and achievements. I count it as garbage. Don't follow that example. But this example that he begins in verse 10, I want to know Christ and I press on. That's the example I want you to follow. And there's other people. Pastor Hess talked about the dream team. There are other people besides Paul that are pressing on to know Christ. You look for those in your life. You don't compare yourselves to them, but you learn from them. And hopefully we're all maturing to where we're examples for our children and we're examples to our friends and our co-workers as well. That's what Paul means there. But then he's going to transition to some bad examples. Watch this. Verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And what he's talking about there, he kind of alludes to it in verse 2 of this chapter. He's talking about the Judaizers, people who thought, well, okay, faith in Christ, great. But it's more than that. It's faith plus works equals salvation. It's faith plus getting circumcised. That's what he kind of mentions in verse 2. It's faith plus, you know, following the rules. It's faith plus, you know, being a good person and all this stuff. And they were teaching that. Let me tell you something. You live like that. 
faith plus something, you can't thrive one day at a time. You can't even look forward to it because you're always living under the burden, am I good enough? And if I'm living that way, I mean, it's like, okay, am I, uh, things are going well right now. I'm being blessed. Maybe, maybe I am doing good things, and maybe you're struggling because you're not doing enough good things. So it ruins your relationships, or you know, it causes a lot of hopelessness. Things are going bad for me right now. So maybe God's punished me because I'm not doing good enough. There's no way you can thrive one day at a time not resting in the cross of Christ. But when you do rest in the cross of Christ, the finished work of the cross, you know what happens? <laughs> On good days, it's like, praise God, he loves me. Even on bad days, you ever been, have you ever had some of those bad days where it's like you're just mad and crotchety for no reason? I mean, that's, I, I have that all the time. And someone, what's wrong with you? I, I don't know. I just want to cuss at you right now. I mean, I, I don't know. What, why, why, I can't even explain why I'm mad. But you know what? Praise God, he loves me. Nothing can change that because it's not about my performance. It's about the performance of Christ on the cross. It's sufficient. His work has completed. It is finished. Our debt has been paid in full. It's not about our performance. We've got to rest in the cross of Christ. But there was other teachers out there as well in, in this time period that, that Paul's alluding to. And it was the teaching of, hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, faith in Christ, that saves your soul. So it doesn't matter what you do in your body now. Go sin away. Go satisfy the lust of the flesh. You know what happened with that? People were getting abused and used and, and just used as a means for comfort and pleasure. And it was just, it was awful. That's not resting in Christ. We rest in Christ. That means we follow him. And we're going to make our lives about loving God and loving others. And so Paul says this about these false teachers. In verse 19, he says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach because it's all about the physical. It's all about the here and now. And their glory is, in their, is, is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But then Paul transitions back to good examples. What a good example is in setting our minds on heavenly things. Because watch this. And this is where Paul really looks forward to it. Because watch this in verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And he's writing to the Philippians, right? And so Philippi was a Roman colony. It was, ruled, it was a Roman military colony ruled by Roman law. And so they belonged to Rome. And, but Rome was way far off from Philippi. Probably many in Philippi had never even visited far off Rome. But there they were in this colony, journeying and wandering. But the residence was somewhere else. And they took pride in that, in that Roman citizenship. They valued it. They believed in it. They, it gave them a sense of belonging. But Paul said, hey, no, no, the citizenship you really need to believe in, the one that you really need to value, it's in heaven. And I couldn't help but think about, man, I'm an American citizen, and I value that. And I believe in that. I mean, I love, I mean, we live in the greatest country. We have a lot of flaws. We, we know that. A lot of things to work on. It's still a great country. But Paul's saying, no, this is not your home. 
You're just a resident alien journeying somewhere right now. This is not all there is. And this place you're journeying to, it has tremendous benefits. He says one of them right here. We're going to get new bodies. Anybody excited about that? Yeah. You know, my senior adult friends, they, I don't know how many times they have told me, it takes a man to grow old, right? It takes a tough person to grow old. I don't know how many times I've heard that. And I don't experience as many aches and pains as they do right now. But even in my 40s, I can tell this is not going to be a cakewalk. Like, like things are depleting and decreasing rapidly. My speed, for instance, I have none. Like, I have a 17-year-old son that plays basketball. I can outshoot him still, but I can't play a lick of defense. I have no lateral speed. It's gone. Sleep, I can get five hours at the most uninterrupted. My teenage sons, they can sleep 10, 11, 12 hours uninterrupted. And it makes me sick. These bodies are depleting. When I first started preaching here, I had hair. <laughs> and I wasn't wearing eyeglasses. Eyesight, depleting. Hair, gone. <laughs> These bodies are going downhill, and America can't save me from that. These bodies are subject to decay, disease, and all that stuff. But Jesus is coming back. Setting up a new heaven, new earth, and all kinds of newness, including new bodies. And because Paul was looking forward to it, he writes this in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, therefore means therefore because I'm looking forward to it. Therefore, because in light of eternity, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. In the Lord, which means stand firm right now. Stand firm one day at a time. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, looking forward to it, dear friends. You see, it was precisely, precisely because Paul looked forward to it that he could thrive in his circumstances one day at a time. He knew this is not all there is. This is not the way it's always going to be. Something better is coming. Let me think of it this way. Have you ever stood on the bank of a fast-flowing river and just watched it? I remember exactly this time last year. The Arkansas River was flooded, right? And it was flowing so rapidly. And I remember going to the Keystone Dam and just watching the, the great amounts of water just being poured out of that dam, just standing there watching it, watching the water going down the river. I remember going to the Jinx River Walk, standing on the bank, just watching it. Oh, there's a log going by and just watching it go into its eye. Oh, there's some debris going by. And just, just experience it, notice it, live in the moment. We're just kind of watching it go on by. And I never attached myself to it, right? So I never, I never jumped in and, try, I'd be dumb anyway, but I never jumped in and tried to get the log, you know, and, and bring it ashore. I see debris going down. I never jumped in and tried to control it or, or rescue it. it just, I just lived there and just noticed it 
and observed it. And eventually just went on down the river and out of my sight. You see, that's really a good picture of what Paul is talking about. He's standing firm on the bank of life. He experienced it. He felt it. He observed it. He never really attached himself to it. So when things were good, hey, palace guards are coming to faith. And the Caesar's household greets you. You know, chapter 4, he says that. You know, good things are happening. But he didn't attach himself to it to the point of, man, I've got to rest. I've got to stop pressing on to know Christ. No, I've got to keep going forward. I've got to keep knowing him. And when things were bad, he's attached to, to guards. and He's under trial. About to, doesn't even know if he's going to live or die. He's in prison. These are bad things. But he didn't attach himself to it and go, oh, my gosh, an overwhelming despair and discouragement. I think this way, it's, it's always going to be this way. I'm stuck here. It's, it's it's hopeless. He never got to that point. You know why?